Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. So friends, join me in a word of prayer as we prepare to hear God's word for us today from the scriptures. Let's pray together. So, O God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Illumine our hearts, our minds, our whole selves. Draw us near to you. Help us to know, learn, understand what it is you would have us know, learn, understand this day from your word made fresh. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, the reading for us today comes from Mark's Gospel. This is the second chapter, the 18th through the 22nd verses. Listen for the word of God for us. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost. And so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. So it was several years ago that I was privileged to be with a group of students visiting Nicaragua. We went to the Central American country because they were exploring, the Presbyterian church there was exploring how to launch a, a venture in ecotourism. And we were there to help them out. We were going to the Basawas Biosphere Reserve, which is the largest rainforest in Central America. It takes up about 15% of the entire land of the nation of Nicaragua. It's all in the northern part of Nicaragua. These Americans, we flew into Managua and spent the night there. The next day was Sunday, so we went to a Presbyterian church for worship. They asked me to preach, which was very nice of them, and I was able to preach with Spanish translation provided by someone else. Thank you, Jesus. And then afterwards, after my sermon, the pastor leaned over and told me that there was going to be baptisms on that day, and I love that. We just had this wonderful baptism. You saw our pastor, Melanie, baptize George, 
Robert, Killa, baptisms are a true gift in this church. This Presbyterian church um, in Managua, it had a, a roof over the church, but just pillars. Um, everything on the sides was open. There were no walls except for the back of the chancel, which had this marvelous, beautiful, multicolored mural that showed the people of Nicaragua, these Presbyterians there. I remember looking around for the baptismal font. I was there in the chancel with the pastor thinking, okay, where's the font? Like, we just baptized George Robert, you saw. And I was thinking there'd be a nice little bowl with some water in it. That's what we Presbyterians do. Discovered that not all Presbyterians baptize the way we do. So I was surprised when the pastor there brought out from the back, wheeled on this cart, a small child-sized coffin lined with plastic. And then members of the congregation came with jars of water and they poured water into that child-sized casket. They filled it up with water. During this time, people are singing the pastor then invited the families with their infants to come forward, and they did. Women and men with their babies, young children, brothers and sisters came forward. These infants were all wrapped up in beautiful cloths, blankets, different colors. And the first family stepped up, and the pastor reached out, and the mother undid the cloths around the baby. And I discovered right then, this is a naked little baby. There is not a stitch on this little girl. And he said some beautiful words to her. He prayed over the water in the coffin. And then he held the baby up in front of the congregation. And they cheered this little naked brown baby. And then the pastor looked at her held her in his arms, and he said to her, Hoy, today, estas, you are muerto, dead, la pecado, in sin. Today you are dead in sin. Hoy, estas muerto, el pecado. Today you are dead to sin. And when he said that, he doused the baby, immersed the baby in the coffin. And then he brought her back up, covered with water, water going everywhere. And he held her up and he yelled in front of the congregation, Hoy, estas vivo en Jesucristo. Hoy estas vivo en Jesucristo. Hoy estas vivo en Jesucristo. Saying over and over again, today, you are alive in Jesus Christ. He did this for each of those infants, naked little brown babies, girls and boys. He threw them into this coffin. He brought them up. Each time they go down, he's saying to them, you are dead to sin today. Each time they come back up, he says, you are alive in Jesus Christ today. These babies were screaming because they were terrified. The congregation is cheering. The music was jubilant. The families are crying because because they are so joyful. And I'll never forget glancing over my students who are sitting together on the side of that beautiful sanctuary, and they're all going. That was the entire conversation that afternoon over lunch at the guest house where we were staying. 
We were talking to each other. Could you see? It was a coffin. I know. The wa- Did you? He yelled, and they were screaming. These kids were terrible. This is horrible. We talked about it and talked about it and talked about it and came to two conclusions. Number one, theologically, it was brilliant. Because what happens in baptism is we are dead to sin. And we are made alive in Jesus Christ. Number one, it was theologically brilliant. Number two, for a bunch of African-American, Asian-American, and Anglo-American Presbyterians, it was terrifying. It was a new way of doing baptisms that I had never experienced never anticipated, very, very different from what we experience. Last Sunday, our pastor, Sally Wright, reminded us that in Jesus Christ, in these Easter days, all things are made new. So we have this tension in the Gospel of Mark between old and new, uh, between tradition and transformation. Um, Jesus' disciples, they're not following the rules, the rules in the tradition. John the Baptist's disciples, they are following the rules. The Pharisees' disciples, they are following the rules. But Jesus' disciples, they're not following the rules. It's not that tradition is a bad thing. Jesus Christ never dismisses tradition out of hand. The problem is when the rules become the focus, when the tradition becomes the center, not the faith that the tradition is supposed to be about. So Jesus reminds his followers, that, you know, you don't take a new piece of cloth and try sew it over a hole in an old cloak because that new piece of cloth, it'll end up tearing a larger hole. Oh, and, and you don't take new wine and you don't put new wine into an old, dry wineskin because The new wine will continue to become better wine. And as it does, it will burst those skins and ruin the skins and ruin the wine. Jesus is saying there is a natural tension between new and old. We are in Easter days. We are dead to sin And we are new because we are alive in Jesus Christ. See, the natural tension is that Jesus has come and is changing everything. Not for the sake of change itself, but because he is offering us a new way to salvation. A way to salvation based on grace not upon keeping all of those rules. We're going to come back to worship, my friends. 
We're going to be back in our sanctuary at Village on Antioch. We're going to be back in our sanctuary at Village on Mission. And when we do, if you think we're just going to return to everything we were doing before, then I worry that we've not caught what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. Because at the heart of the Easter story is that you and I are being made new. We are being transformed. Hallie Hoddle, our pastor, loves to use the language that Jesus is loose on the earth. Your job, my job, is to pay attention. She's exactly right. The Easter story, the risen Christ is loose on the earth. He is making all things new. And dare I say it, he is even making the body of Jesus Christ, his own body, this church. He is making us new. He is seeking our transformation. What has struck me over and over and over again during this pandemic is your faith and faithfulness. Even in the midst of death and loss and grieving, oh my goodness, you've inspired me over and over again with your resilience, with your ability to dig deep and find a reservoir that may have surprised even you, that you did not think you had, but you do, you have it because of the grace of God, because Jesus is making us new, because we are being transformed. That goes on our whole lives out of faithfulness to Jesus. Come on, O church. When we come back, and we will, we will be different because that is who we are called to be. The church of Jesus Christ is the church of transformation because we are dead to sin and we are alive in Jesus Christ. Oh, I know this is not easy. (laughs) So several years ago, I was teaching on the faculty at Columbia Seminary there in Decatur, Georgia. And there was a moment when we were called together as a faculty to attend a retreat with the administration and the board of trustees. A day-long retreat, faculty, administration, board of trustees. I got to tell you, on the list of things to do, um, a day-long retreat with administration and trustees, that's really not high on a faculty favorite list. So a few of us entered that day with not great attitudes. Um, That whole morning, the first morning there that day, uh, the first presenter was a religious sociologist. His job was to lay out trends and talk about the nature of the church in America, what was going on in these United States, and how that would impact and shape those of us in theological education. He was trying to help the seminary, our administration, our trustees, and for we as faculty. He was trying to help us understand this is how things that are changing. If you want to be new, you've got to change in order to accommodate all the transformational possibilities that Christ is laying out before you. He did a whole morning of trends, and I could feel our anxiety rising as a faculty. 
There was a question and answer period at the end, just before lunch, and one of my colleagues, who I respect a great deal, she raised her hand and said, so, so I understand that you're talking about all these new trends and implications for us. And he said, yes. And she said, so tell me honestly, given all these possibilities, these changes in the church, these changes in theological education, these changes in American culture and belief and faith, what are you most worried about? And he turned and he looked at her and all of us, and he said, honestly, what I'm most worried about is that you'll refuse to change, that you won't even recognize the need for change. And then he used an image just like Jesus does when he talked about the cloth, the unshrunk, the new cloth, and the old cloak. Just like when he talks about new wine and old wineskins, the guy used another image. He said, what I'm most worried about, I'm most worried about is the idea that you are so comfortable as an institution that you are so secure in everything you've been doing over and over again that you won't even realize that you are riding on a dead horse. That's what he said he was most worried about. Well, that got us quiet. And before anybody else could respond, one of our trustees, who is this really big, high-powered business guy in Atlanta, said from this corner of the room, you know, when the horse is dead, that's a great time to dismount. I was sitting next to Walter Brueggemann, who is a professor of Old Testament, brilliant, brilliant man. And Walter leaned over and said to me, that guy, he's smart. That was worth the whole conference today. I wrote down in my notes, when the horse is dead, it's a good time to dismount. Jesus doesn't dismiss tradition. He dismisses traditionalism. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. It is how people who are alive live out the faith that has been gifted to us by our forebears. But traditionalism, like all other isms, is a problem. If tradition is a living faith of the dead, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. It's a bunch of nice people who are just going through the motions because we've always done things this way before and we don't even realize that we're riding on a dead horse. We're so caught up in our traditionalism that we don't realize we're the ones who are in the way. We're the ones who are preventing the body of Jesus Christ, the church, from being transformed and being even more faithful. Come on, oh church, come on.
we were built for this time. We were built for these moments. This is why we exist, for the glory of God alone. Hoy, estás muerto, la pecado. Estás muerto, el pecado, you are dead to sin today. Hoy, estás vivo, in Jesucristo. You are alive in Jesus Christ today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.